eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house. Even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? you left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Hosting, letter writing, and going out on real dates are often seen as old-fashioned practices that no longer are needed in an age when guests can book an Airbnb instead of crashing at your pad. You can communicate instantaneously via email or text, or your next girlfriend is just a Tinder swipe away. But my guest today argues that the refinement of civilization requires that we still continue these supposedly old-fashioned practices. His name is Mitchell Kalpakian, and he's the author of The Lost Arts of Civilization. And today on the show, we discuss what Homer, Guy Ruth the Iliad and the Odyssey, can teach us about being a good host, why writing letters by hand will always beat email, and why you might consider resurrecting the forgotten art of courtship. Great podcast. After the show, check out the show notes at aom.is slash civilization, uh, where you can find links to resources we mentioned throughout the show so you can delve deeper into this topic. Mitchell Kalpagian, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate the invitation to talk about subjects that are on my mind, subjects that appear in my teaching, and subjects that I write about, uh, because I find them very important, uh, very timely, and uh, uh, very, very rich in wisdom. Well, I, I agree. So you've written um, several books, um, but the one book that I came across of yours that I'd like to focus on today uh, is the uh, the book, The Lost Arts of Modern Civilization. Sure. And in this book, you make the case for reviving what a lot of people today would think of as old-fashioned practices, like yes, writing yes. letters by hand um, or courtship. Um, sure. So- I'm curious, why, what do you think people stand to benefit? And by people, and since this is the Art of Manliness podcast, particularly men, what do they stand from benef- to benefit from taking part in these um, antiquated practices in our modern technological age? Well, yeah, I, yes. Well, that's a very probing question and uh, a very practical question. Uh, first of all, uh, I think the word antiquated, perhaps, is a little extreme and a little exaggerated. Uh, these are practices that are familiar to to many of us in my generation. I'm in my 70s. People in their 60s, perhaps 50s, can identify with all of these things. Uh, uh, but you're quite right. These have become somewhat obsolescent. Uh, 
less customary, uh, and they have been more or less relegated to the past as old-fashioned, or as you said, antiquated, uh, but they're not. You know, some things, some things that are old are worth preserving and cherishing because they are timeless and they are very human, they're very personal, they're very enriching. So uh, things like all those topics in the book, The Lost Arts of Modern Civilization, uh, are things that will beautify and enrich human beings' lives. In other words, uh, I can sense myself because I lived, I've lived in both worlds. I've lived in the pre-technological revolution, the digital revolution, and I now live in the post-digital technological age. And I, I see there's a profound difference. Uh, and the, the profound difference is that the world that I try to recover in the lost arts, modern civilization, is far more personal, far more joy-filled. Uh, it uh, somehow makes life so much more enjoyable and delightful uh, that it's worth remembering and recalling. It's, it shouldn't just be put on the shelf or put in the museum or just be considered quaint. Uh, so that's my... That's my apologia, my defense of those uh, old-fashioned customs or antiquated ideas. They're not antiquated. Some things, are like like the habit of reading, for example, I mean, how can that ever become antiquated, you see? They can't become antiquated. Uh, I know people are absorbed by video culture, but that, that, that can't possibly translate into the elimination of the importance and value of reading. So uh, I think all men can benefit from these uh, uh, lost arts. Uh, all human beings can benefit. All men can benefit. Uh, for example, uh, you take, for example, uh, you could take any one of those lost arts, like the, the, the lost art of hospitality, for example. Uh, I have found uh, my whole, my, the whole history of my life, uh, from the time I was a child, through my married life, through my now in my uh, 70s, I have found that people appreciate an invitation for dinner, for a social occasion, or a party. They, they, uh, uh, men more than, uh, I mean women more than men, uh, men somehow have to be coaxed, coerced, uh, made to feel guilty, but Many men do relish these occasions as much as women and children. Why? Uh, because it enlarges people's worlds. Uh, we all have circles of family members. We have circles of friendships. But part of the pleasure of life is to expand our relationships, to enjoy more people, to extend our friendships, uh, and you never know what will happen. That is, you could have one conversation. You could learn one thing. You could receive one introduction on these social events that could somehow make a difference in your life. Uh, 
why should we limit our worlds only to a a, cir- a limited circle or a clique or just you know a few people uh, that are in our circle when this there is a larger world for us to enjoy and there's so much to for us to give and receive it's mutual you know we we might contribute something say something uh, someone might know, uh, learn that we have a favorite hobby or a particular interest that someone else also enjoys, and something happens. Uh, so this is a way of somehow gaining perspective. In other words, life is more than work, you know, or life is more than money. Life is more than paying bills and purchasing things. There's a human dimension to life that we cannot lose sight of. See, we are meant, human beings are meant by nature uh, to somehow uh, work to live. Not live to work, but we live, we, we, we work to live and we work to play. We work to enjoy things. And uh, uh, these lost arts are sources of true enjoyment. You don't have to depend on an entertainment industry. You don't have to depend on a mobile device. This is, these are all natural, human, traditional sources of enjoyment that are filled with mirth. And people, this, people testify to this. And uh, people, uh, people recognize that these are inherently good things to pursue and to do. And going back to hospitality, I mean, throughout the, the, your book, um, you look to uh, great thinkers, great literature to, um, I guess, suss out or make your, you know, kind of make your case, build your case. And right. I thought right, it was interesting yeah. with the lost art of hospitality, you look to the Homeric poems um, as yes. as a treatise on hospitality. Because I think it's interesting for a lot of men, they think, oh, you know, uh, the Iliad, Odysseus, it's all about Achilles' rage, black blood sure. spewing out of bodies and these great epic battles. Sure, so, sure. But what can the Homeric epics teach us about hospitality? Well, yes. Uh, 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 even though this is a story about the Trojan War, which is always in the background, um there are in both the Iliad and the Odyssey these. Uh, there are scenes of hospitality. In the Iliad, there's a very, very famous scene uh, uh, called "Funeral Games of Patroclus," which is an episode that is in contrast to war. That is, the Greeks are in a state of leisure; they're competing for fun; they're not fighting uh, for glory. There's a, it's a kind of interlude, and Homer wants us to see in both the Iliad and the Odyssey that men have two sides. They have a masculine side, of course, that somehow is demanded of them in fighting evil and going to war and defending their families uh, and uh, fighting, uh, fighting whatever difficulties confront them, but uh, all of Homer's heroes have a mother and a father, and they have a wife, and they have children, and Homer reminds us that that is really the center of their life. It's really the center of their life. Now, in the Odyssey, if you ever uh, go, you know, read the Odyssey uh, carefully, 
you will notice there are several scenes of hospitality. I can't think of any book that spends as much time on the rituals of hospitality. That is right at the beginning of the book. One of the gods comes in disguise and is received with hospitality by Odysseus's son. And later on, uh, the son, Telemachus, goes on a journey to find news about his father. Is he living or is he dead? And he's welcomed by the hospitality of Menelaus uh, and welcomed uh, by the hospitality of uh, another one of the companions of Odysseus uh, uh, in the Trojan War. And and uh, so all, th- all through the book, it went, uh, when Odysseus finally comes home, the very first scene that portrays uh, Odysseus when he's arrived home is that he's received with hospitality by not a king or a queen, but a swineherd. In other words, hospitality is an ingrained habit of life. It isn't just kings, nobles, the wealthy. All human beings practice hospitality. It is considered to be sacred to the gods. To violate the rituals and obligations of hospitality is an offense against Zeus. In other words, this is the most human of all virtues. All human beings are travelers. All human beings are strangers. All human beings find times in their life where they depend upon the kindness of other human beings. Therefore, they are obligated to practice this virtue that is so essential for a human life. Uh, now, the, the custom of hospitality in Homer also is just a beautiful ritual. In other words, uh, it's a it's a, it's a very special occasion, uh, and it involves different stages. That is, the traveler is first of all welcomed, bathed, cleansed, given clean garments, given a good night's sleep in comfortable, uh, in a with comfortable blankets in one place, and then the following day, no, and then uh, so. Uh, uh, that, that the first he's cleansed, then he's feasted, you know, uh, and all of the the dainties, the mellow wine, the roasted meat, uh, in great abundance is uh, is offered to the guest. Uh, so, first of all, the needs of the body are met, but that's not enough. You see, the next day, the next day, the the traveler uh, and the guest is. Uh, uh, welcomed for his conversation. Where, in other words, he, where does he come from? This is an occasion for learning. This is an opportunity to broaden the mind. Every traveler comes with his own background, comes with his own experience. And so they spend time in conversation, delightful conversation, real exchange. Uh, uh, Odysseus, when he's the guest tells all these episodes and stories of, from his experience in the Trojan War. And that's, that's, all, that's still not the end of the ritual of hospitality. Then 
uh, all the guests hear the beautiful music of the bard playing the lyre, and then they are uh, 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 entertained by, uh, by 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 dancers who are so so practiced and skillful in this particular art, and then finally. Uh, before the ritual of hospitality is completed, uh, Odysseus is, is asked to participate in the Olympic Games, athletic competitions. Uh, and so you see that the whole, the whole idea here is hospitality nourishes the body, the mind, the spirit, the heart. It acknowledges the humanity of the traveler in all of his different dimensions. You honor the guest, you see. Uh, you welcome the guest. You have conversation with the guest. You learn from the guest. And when he leaves, you give him a gift. Now, could anything be more civilizing and humanizing and heartwarming than the knowledge that a particular culture or society practices this on all the different social levels? You see that this there's a great great wisdom here about the art of living. And, and so I guess for us, I mean, in the modern age, we're not ancient Greeks, but uh, we might not do the the whole ritual that they did in ancient Greece. But I mean, for us, it could just be as simple as actually setting aside and like being intentional about inviting others into our home and yes. breaking bread with them. Absolutely, it's always it's always a thoughtful kind, gracious, and social thing to do. People appreciate it. People appreciate it. Uh, it, You're right. It doesn't have to be elaborate. You're absolutely right. It's the intention and the goodwill that counts. You know, what are you doing tonight? Well, why don't you come over for coffee and dessert? Uh, What are you doing tonight? Well, just we're having a barbecue. Why don't you come and join us? Uh, uh, You know, it's the winter's been long and weary. Just come over for uh, some wine and cheese and conversation. We haven't seen each other in a long time. Do you see? That does, that's nourishing. That's emotionally nourishing. It helps people to, uh, it helps human beings to appreciate other human beings and recognize that they're not just workers, they're not just mothers, they're not just fathers. You know, they're not just specialists. That the, there's a human dimension to them uh, that is so inviting. But you have, you need these occasions in order to uh, to to know these people, you know, and get to know them better. Uh, I mean, just simple things. Even if it, you've never met before, just simple questions like, "Oh, you know, uh, where are you from?" or you know, where did you learn your trade, or where did you go to school, or where are you? I noticed you have a French name. Uh, are you French Canadian? Or you know, little things like that somehow open the door. And I have found in my lifetime that you know uh, that occasions of hospitality are naturally opportunities for conversation. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. You know. Uh, but you have to ask. Nobody's going to tell you this story. Nobody's going to delve into their background or relive their childhood or tell you of 
you know, the, the great adventures, the romantic adventures. I mean, whatever they've done in life that's memorable, I mean, it's, it's all stored away, but they need an opportunity to express it. And those things come up naturally in uh, social occasions of hospitality where people are conversing and learning about each other and, and this, that, that kind of spontaneous, honest exchange. And then all those people are there. So that, yes, often some people, sometimes uh, someone will come say, well, let me introduce you to so-and-so. Or uh, my, my wife would really like to talk to you. Or my husband would really like to talk to you, you see. Uh, those things happen in such a fortuitous way, uh, such a spontaneous way that it's uh, very, very spirited. Uh, so I, I, uh, you're quite right when you say that hospitality does not have to be elaborate, but it's uh, it, it just it can be very simple. You see, when I, earlier I said that one of the hosts of the traveler is Eumaeus. He's a swineherd. He doesn't have a palace. He doesn't have talented musicians and dancers. But the welcome he gives this stranger, he doesn't know it's auditions. He just thinks it's a, a vagabond. But he treats him with regal hospitality. He offers him his best. He makes him comfortable. He roasts the best meat for him. Uh, he spends time conversing with him. They exchange stories, you see. Uh, that's a very important, uh, you know, storytelling is a very important part of this ritual. Uh, there is so much human wisdom to be learned by way of conversation. You don't have to read books about it. You know, you don't have to read experts about many things that somehow can be easily learned by uh, confront, uh, conversations with people who have life experience and who have things to say and have real convictions. So another area or another practice you argue for is the, the art of letter writing. And I'm curious, you know, in a world, in a world where we can communicate to any, with anyone around the world instantly via email or text message, why should we make, make time for handwritten letters? I mean, what are we able to convey via a handwritten letter that we can't through an email? Yes, well, again, it's like a very, very thoughtful and very practical question, and that, uh, and that is uh, the uh, the difference between electronic correspondence and letter writing is that some uh, some occasions require letter writing. Some there are certain occasions where. Uh, you can uh, compliment someone, congratulate someone, sympathize with someone, offer your good wishes to someone in the form of a written letter. Because when you write a letter, first of all, you have to be in a state of leisure. You know, like most electronic communication is in the form of business. You know, we yes, we want dispatch. You know, we want instant communication uh, when we're purchasing things, ordering things, doing online uh, business. Uh, yes, that has its purpose. But that we shouldn't limit correspondence only to emails. 
so when you're writing a letter, and just notice now, I, I, mean, I mean, this has been said to me over and over again by several people. People uh, will do not throw away your personal letters. They don't throw them away. Um, I remember myself, uh, when I was a college student, I would, uh, I would call my parents once a week or twice a week, and then I would also write letters. But I remember my mother saying to me, please write letters. She said, I can reread the letters. I like seeing your handwriting. Your handwriting reminds me of who you are. When I receive a letter, um, I can then put it away and reread it when I miss you. When I have a letter from you and other relatives ask, I can read them your letter or show them your letter. In other words, sometimes we can express the deepest emotions of our hearts and souls in the form of letters. Uh, yes, letter writing uh, takes time. You have to somehow imagine the person in front of you. In other words, you have to see that person, you have to remember that person, you have to keep in mind that person's character, personality, sense of humor, likes, interests, and it makes a demand upon you. What can you say in a letter that would be meaningful? What could you say in a letter that would be enjoyable? What can you say in a letter that would make someone say, that letter made my day? That's what people tell me. That's what people say. You said, getting your letter made my day. What did it communicate? It communicated to me that you found the time you found the time to write to me, and you somehow organized your day to collect your thoughts and say something to me in a letter that was friendly, that was delightful, that gave me advice, that recommended something for me to read or to see or to do. Um... That's the power of letter writing, you see. In other words, the business of letter writing is not to, it's not instant communication, but how can, it's a form of pleasing someone. You see, it's a form of pleasing someone. How do you keep friendships? How do you keep them active? You see, well, you, yeah, you can, you can do emails and keep them active. Uh, I have found in my lifetime that the friendships that thrive are the ones that somehow exchange letters. It doesn't have to be every week, but regularly, like even if it's three or four times a year, uh, they're beautiful things to receive, and you read them, and you reread them, and what happens when you read a letter is it motivates you to write a letter. And yes, I know people say, well, I, you know, they say I'm not a good letter writer. That's not the point. You know, you know how to talk. You know how to express yourself. That, that's all that people want. Just express yourself in the best way you can. You know, my mother was, uh, was an immigrant. She, she uh, didn't know 
English very well. And she just, she, she knew uh, a few languages. Uh, she knew Armenian. She, she grew up in uh, France. She would write mean letters in French. Ma chère fils, I, also, I still love that beginning. My, my dearest son, ma chère fils, you know. Uh, and that was very touching. Uh, and uh, that's how people know us. They know us by what we say. They know us by what we write. They know us by our thoughtfulness. We cannot always plead the excuse of busyness. Do you see? That is the lamest of excuses. People always find time to do the things that are important. They always do. That is, they may have to prioritize, but they don't ignore doing the things that are important. When you have the moment, when you have the weekend, when you have the vacation, you do the things that are really important. Um, you write that letter, or you make that phone call, you know, or you make that invitation. Uh, and that's the secret of living a balanced life. You know, we cannot let busyness or work somehow consume us to the point where the most important things in our lives, our family relationships, our bonds, our friendships, the people that we're most indebted to, uh, that we have lifelong association with, we have to make sure that these things are not neglected or forgotten because then we become less human. You see, we become less human. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means more room for your gear. And there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. If you're like my family, we're getting to the busy part of the year. Spring sports are happening, a lot of after-school activities. So sometimes planning and cooking dinner, just don't have time for that. That's where Factor Meals comes in. With Factor, you get fresh, never-frozen meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, you get restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. It's also less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian-approved to be nutritious and delicious. So we've been using Factory Meals in the McKay household for a while now. There's a lot of reasons why we like them. First off, the food tastes great. Last week, I had creamy pesto pork chop with spinach, cauliflower, rice, roasted green beans. Tasted fantastic. But the big selling point, it's easy. There's no cooking. There's no cleaning up. It's great for those nights when you're busy and you don't have much time uh, to to take care of dinner and you don't want to do takeout because you feel gross after takeout. If you'd like to try Factory Meals, head to factorymeals.com slash manliness50 and use code MANLINESS50 to get 50% off. That's code MANLINESS50 at factormeals.com slash MANLINESS50 to get 50% off. Check it out today and make sure to check out the creamy pesto pork chop. It's really good. 
Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. I think uh, one of the other things I love about letters is that it's tangible, right? Yes. It, it, the, when you get a letter, you see the person's handwriting uh, and through the handwriting, you can see their personality. And you, yes. when you hold it, you think, well, he, the person who sent me this, like he held it too. There's something, I mean, it's something, it's bizarre yes. that that can actually convey more connection through an object. But like, I don't get that same sort of sense whenever I read an email, even though it might be heartfelt, whenever it's conveyed sure. via letter, there's just something, the, 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 because I can heft it um, physically, yes. it convey, there's a more of a, there, it, it, there's a, an emotional heftness to it as well. Yes, that's a very good way of putting it. You know, I mean, can you imagine? Uh, can you imagine uh, love letters by email? <laughs> can you imagine uh, writing a letter of condolence by email? I mean, do you, do you see how inappropriate that is? That that that's as, as as impersonal and as insensitive and as unfeeling as as one could possibly get. You know. So you're right. The if we want to somehow, you know, we have to remember that human beings uh, have many, many emotions. You know, they 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 have sensitivities, they have sensibilities, they have you know a certain refinements, uh, and we never can quite capture that with email. You know, uh, uh, and uh, writing a letter gives you the chance to somehow uh, present yourself or write in a way or say some things that you know correspond t 
that person's sensibilities and feelings and thoughts and interests. Uh, that is, uh, that's important to them. Yeah. You know, that it's important to them. I mean, uh, I mean, every human being wants others to take an interest in them. You see, uh, and that's what we neglect in the modern world is we don't take a human interest in other human beings. We take an interest in them if, you know, we work together, we're colleagues, you know, we're on a team, uh, we work on a project, we work on roofs together, we work on houses together. Uh, Yes, that's true. Uh, But uh, there is another dimension, you see. You know, we have to always remember that there's a mystery to human being. There's a a very, very deep mystery to human being. And yes, we see the person with our eyes, and, you know, we recognize that this person is tall, this one is short, this one is young, this one is old, this one is attractive, this one is plain. You know, those are first impressions that we have, but we have to realize that there are so many other layers upon layers upon layers that, uh, that form a human being. Don't we want to know those other layers? Uh, don't we want to, to get to know the heart of a person, the soul of a person, the essence of a person? Uh, and so these lost arts of modern civilization are always keeping that, keeping that alive, you know. I mean, just think of uh, when a person, when a person leaves this world, what, what are they remembered for? You know, what are they, no no one, they're not going to be receive a eulogy for, you know, being punctual at work every day, although that was certainly an admirable quality, but people will say, he was a good mother. I mean, he, he was a good father. She was a good mother. He was a true friend. You know, she had a pure heart. Um, she never said anything unkind about anyone. You know, uh, she was the most humble person and never complained. Uh, I mean, it's, it's these beautiful qualities of human beings that are cherished that somehow uh, we will know and appreciate if we have this personal dimension to our life. It, it seems like um, these lost arts, what they all have in common is that they draw ourselves out of our own head in a way. Yes. Yes. Very good. Very well put. Yes. I couldn't agree with you more. You're thinking uh, about others and not just because yeah, modern modern culture is very insular. It uh, you know Everything is uh, made to fit. We can get internet content that just, you know, based on an algorithm that aligns with our taste. Um, yes. And these lost arts require you to like not just think about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, I, I uh, one of the chapters in that book that uh, I really enjoyed writing because I found it sorely lacking all around me was uh, it was the chapter's called "The Art of Pleasing." And just think about think just think about what you just said that. So many human beings in modern culture are most insensitive about pleasing others, but most committed to pleasing themselves. In other words, everything I do must somehow enhance my image. Everything I do must serve my pleasures. Everything I do must somehow advance my career. 
but uh, the art of pleasing is the willingness to do the little things that may not be, you know, grave matters, but just to do the little things uh, just because it's pleasing to someone, you know. How many of us are that sensitive to know what pleases our mother or our father or our spouse or our oldest son or our youngest daughter? You know, uh, that does require just what you said, the ability to put ourselves last, to put other people first, to be aware of other people's uh, uh sensitivities, to be aware of other people, the things that make other people happy. And we need to remember that these are proofs of love, you see, proofs of love, are the little things that you do, the, the, the little thoughtful, kind things that you do, uh, where, you know, you say, well, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go, uh, uh, rather than having an argument about that, you see. Uh, all of us need to learn how to put our own will, our own preferences, second. Um, and uh, that requires humility. That requires great, great thoughtfulness. Um, I, I remember, I think I used this example in, in the book, but I remember reading this as just such an uh, exquisite example of the art of pleasing, uh, I was reading uh, something by Alice von Hildebrandt, uh, married to the eminent theologian Dietrich von Hildebrandt. And she remembers asking her husband once, she said, could you please, please, please not put a bar of soap in a soap dish with water in it? She says, I know it's not something that bothers you, but it's quite irritating to a woman. And I, could you please not do this. And uh, the fact that he stopped doing that proved how much he loved her. That's how she interprets this, you see. Yeah. In other words, uh, take, for example, a mother who cooks what her children like to eat. Rather than, rather than what she likes to eat, she, she cooks what her husband likes to eat, or what the children like to eat. You see, that's the art of pleasing. That's the art of pleasing. Uh, and uh, we all we all thrive on this. You see, we 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 can all be sources to other people. All can be sources of joy to them if we do these little things, these simple amenities, these these thoughtful acts of courtesy. So, um, Mitchell, in another chapter, you talk about the lost art of courtship. Um, I'm sure our younger listeners uh, have heard the word, but because they've grown up in a culture that has pretty much abandoned courtship, um, what exactly is it, and how does courting or courtship strengthen a relationship in the long run? Yes, well, again, uh, that's... uh that is a lost art, and it needs to be recovered uh, for all kinds of reasons. And, you know, courtship, it doesn't, you know, yes, I know people will say, well, that's something they did in Jane Austen's 18th century world or in the Victorian period. But no, there's a, there's a certain logic to it. 
In other words, um, courtship begins in a social in a, in a social occasion. That is, a, a man and a woman will meet. You know that they they can meet at school, or they can meet at work, or they can meet at church, or they can meet at a party. You know, it's a social situation. Uh, and uh, they, someone will introduce them, or they will introduce themselves, uh, and he will make an impression on her, and she will make an impression on him. So, in other words, this person is not just some stranger. This is someone that you had a chance to meet. This is someone upon whom you have an impression, either favorable or unfavorable, or interesting or uninteresting or attractive or not attractive. Um, so it, it begins uh, it begins in a social situation. And uh, if there is, you know, compatibility and conge- congeniality, uh, then a man uh, should then initiate a courtship by calling, asking the person, you know, to do something. Uh, whether it is to go out to dinner or to go out to some cultural event or go to some athletic event. And so, in other words, uh, there's a second opportunity, a second opportunity to somehow know each other better, uh, to have more conversation, to appreciate uh, and understand each other's personality a little bit more. Um and so, in other words, you're building a foundation. You see, that is, uh, first of all, here is someone you've actually met, someone that has been introduced to you by someone you respect. Um, and and so now you you spend more time with each other on a date. Uh, and so the second time, one of you or both of you will say, "Well, I, I hope we can do this again." You see, and so. The third layer builds upon the second layer, which builds upon the first layer, you see. And so as this goes on within a period of time, uh, uh, then the the whole idea here is that uh, you will be falling in love or you will not be falling in love. In other words, um, as this relationship somehow develops and deepens, at some point, someone will say, you know, I really miss you. I really miss you. I feel there's a kind of emptiness in my life. Um, I really love being with you. Um, uh, I love your sense of humor. You're, 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 you're fun to be with. You know, uh, we have so much to talk about, you see. So in other words, you I give a courtship is allowing a relationship to grow naturally you see in other words it's like a seed let the seed grow cultivate the seed nurture the seed let it blossom you see and uh, and then one of two things will happen uh that is a man will, will will realize or a woman will realize well this is not meant to be i i uh or uh, they will recognize that this is meant to be. I, uh, uh, I, this, this person is perfect for me. But notice that uh, as I'm describing courtship, it's chaste. All right, 
notice it's chaste. Notice that the whole idea, the whole sexual aspect of love and marriage are guarded and protected. Uh, there is none of this hookup culture, none of this promiscuity, uh, none of this, this, this cohabitation that is a mockery of, of romance and a mockery of marriage. The whole, the whole point of courtship is that a mystery is being unveiled. You say it's being unveiled. It has to be unveiled slowly. It doesn't happen instantly. The secret of a person has to come out. The beauty of a person needs time to reveal itself. And, uh, uh, and that, that's what courtship is. In other words, you fall in love with someone for all kinds of good reasons. You don't just fall in love because of physical attraction. You fall in love with persons, with, with someone because there's compatibility, because there's mutual attraction, because you share similar ideals, because you have common values, because you realize you can live together, because you realize your mother or father would, would approve of him or her um, in marriage. You see, in other words, uh, there's, a, there's, there's a mystery that's being unveiled and being revealed in stages. Right. I think that's one of the lessons. I mean, you, you refer to Jane Austen. I know a lot of guys think Jane Austen yeah. is sort of, you know, that's for ladies. But there's a, oh, there's, no. <laughs> there's a great lesson there. I, mean, I just finished reading uh, Pride and Prejudice. Oh, good, um, good. And Mr. Bennett, Right, uh, he yeah. he's in a terrible relationship. He does not does not like his wife. He calls her a silly no. woman, and but yes. Elizabeth, his older daughter, you know, is, you know, noted like real, you know, she notes why her dad doesn't like his marriage with his with her mother is that he married her just for looks, like it was just the the right. sexual attraction, and yes. it must have been a quick courtship uh, because yes. it wasn't until after he was married to his wife that he realized I do not I have nothing in common with this woman. And right. I don't enjoy being around her. Well, that's right. Exactly. Uh, yes. See, what Jane Austen shows you in that book, and that's why men should read this book, is um, men should need men should need to uh, need to read this book because what Jane Austen re reveals to you is that uh, if a woman is uncertain about whether or not she wants to return your love. There's one test that you have to pass. There's one, one test you have to pass. And um, in other words, every woman wants to know in her heart, does he really love me? Really love me? Or just say he loves me. Okay, He can say he loves me, but uh, I'm not convinced he really loves me. And what Jane Austen shows you in that book uh, is that, yes, Darcy... Darcy really loves Elizabeth Bennett. And how many men, after being refused when they made a marriage offer, would make a second marriage offer to, the, to a woman who refused him? How many men are large enough, noble enough to do that, forgiving enough, overlooking enough to do that? You see? He did that. You see? And uh, notice that uh, there's another episode in that book where Remember, he proposes to her the first time, and she says, no, you're the last person I would ever marry on earth. She says that to him with great anger. 
because she's offended by his manners, offended by his manners, by his snobbery, uh, by the fact that he told his best friend not to court Elizabeth Bennet's sister, Jane. Uh, and so they part uh, on this note of, uh, of anger and insult. Now, and then they meet again many months later, and notice how Dar Darcy, he, 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 can, he treats her like a gentleman. He could have avoided her, he could have given her the cold shoulder, he could have been snobbish, he could have pretended she didn't exist, but he was a gentleman. And in other words, he showed her that he could change his behavior and manners to please her, you see? In other words, that's how much she meant to him. He would, he admits his faults, he corrects his faults, um, he uh, tries again, he wants to prove to her that he loves her that much, that there's nothing he won't do to please her within his power. So uh, what Jane Austen shows you uh, in that book, uh, as, as, you recognize, as you recognized in your own reading of it, is that people marry for different kinds of reasons. You know, there are all, there are all those different romances and matches in that book. And you mentioned the one between the mother and the father, where he marries her for social reasons. Uh, she's uh, attractive, and she's young, and she's flirtatious, and he married her. But but the all the other dimensions are, the other dimensions are missing. Compatibility is mi is missing. They're not. In other words, he doesn't respect her mind. Do you see? You, the person you marry ultimately is someone you have to respect. You have to respect the person's character, the person's mind, person's moral principles. Um, uh, that's a very practical consideration. Many people in that book, they marry just for money. You know, the old maid, Charlotte Lucas, she wants to marry, so she removes the stigma of old maid. She doesn't want to be a financial burden on her family, so she marries. Well, that's not a very happy marriage either. You see, there are mediocre marriages. Jane Austen shows you many mediocre marriages. Uh, it, but she also shows you the beautiful ideal that is embodied in Elizabeth and Darcy. They do everything right. In other words, they take into account the economic aspect of marriage, the social aspect of marriage. They both realize they're marrying into each other's families. They're not just marrying each other. They're marrying each other and his family and her family. They have to, they're not going to end all family relationships because of their marriage. And they're all, they're both committed to making the mingling of two families work. They're going to ex extend themselves with their manners, with their behavior, with their conduct, to always be civil and polite, even though they may not like someone. You see, marriage demands that. So the, the economic consideration, the social consideration, and they are also attracted to each other. You see, Darcy. And Elizabeth, he's fascinated by her. He keeps saying all through the book, he cannot stop looking at those beautiful eyes. And uh, and likewise, Elizabeth has to agree, as all the women uh, at the dance, that Darcy is indeed a very handsome man. That That is there. The attractive element is there. But 
even more important than all those considerations is the moral dimension of marriage. Courtship gives you the opportunity to recognize whether the moral dimension of marriage is there as a foundation. You can have all the other things. You can have the economic and social and attractive aspects of marriage somehow in place, but if that other dimension is missing, for example, then there's going uh, there are going to be some serious divisions and conflicts. But if the moral dimension is present, and you both have the same ideals, same principles, whatever the arguments are, you will reconcile them, because you agree on what is good and right and moral. Very good. Well, Mitchell, this has been a great conversation. Um, is there Where are your books available? Where can people find more about your work? Uh, well, uh, Tan Books has uh, two of my books, uh, The Lost Arts of Modern Civilization and The Mysteries of Life in Children's Literature. And Crossroad Publishing has The Virtues We Need Again, and I have another book, uh, it's, uh, it's called The Virtues we, we, uh, That Build Us Up. It's coming out in July, uh, July 1st, Crossroad Publishing. So Tan Books and Crossroad Publishing. Very good. Well, Mitchell, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you for asking such good questions. You're a great interviewer. Well, thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. My guest today was Mitchell Kalpakian. He's the author of the book, The Lost Arts of Civilization. It's available on Amazon.com. He's got some other great books. The Virtues We Need Again is another good one where he takes life lessons from the great books. Uh, check that out as well. And also make sure to check out the show notes at aom.is slash civilization for uh, links to resources mentioned throughout the show so you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this show and have got something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher to help spread the word about the show. As always, I appreciate your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.